0: Of course, I am your host, Josh Burton, a.k.a. JB, Jizzle Bizzle, whatever you want to call. Of course, again, I am joined or brought to you today by Darledge Custom Meats based out of Seymour, Indiana. Hit up, if you're ever in the area, go to Darledge's for all the best and finest meats around. I guarantee I put that up anywhere, not only in the state of Indiana, but in the nation. I'm that confident our meats are that good. So. Today's episode, like the first two, have been brought to you by Darledge Custom Meats based out of Seymour, Indiana. Also, I'm I'm happy to be joined yet again by producer, uh, co-host of Everything College Basketball, Mr. Peyton Burton, joined us on the line yet again for some... Peyton, this weekend, as we sat here on late Friday night recording the first part of this show, this weekend in sports is absolutely Loaded insane in the membrane with all the material going on in the sports world i'm talking about we're coming up on the on the final couple games being played right now um mlb season before we hit the the summer classic Um, you know all-star breaks coming up trade deadlines coming up we've got ufc 264 that we will be previewing in full in this episode Hearing a little bit later on in the show, the absolutely stacked headline by the notorious Conor McGregor in his trilogy fight versus Dustin Poirier. They're both one and one. I cannot wait to get our special guest on the line with you guys later in the show as we break down the main card and basically all the happenings around this mega fight because Dana White's already came out and said that the winner of this is next in line for the 155-pound title versus champion uh, Charles Oliveira. we've got obviously some racing going on right now. The NBA Finals Game 3 tips off on Sunday with the Suns currently leading 2-0 as uh, the tilt heads towards Milwaukee we're going to talk about. There's so much action going on in this sports week. This is the time of year. Like this time, summer, and then early, early fall are some of the best times in the the entire calendar year because everything kind of meets in the middle where just everything's circulating at the same time well, like I so said we're gonna jump into stuff we got some finals we're going to talk about of course we're gonna probably lead off with it. but before we really dive into everything I mean what a massive weekend in, in the landscape of sports we've got
1: oh yeah without a doubt I know I think it was a couple of days ago I'm not sure the timeline but I remember seeing on Twitter that uh, lightning table Bay lightning they end up Winning the Stanley Cup Finals, so they yep. went back to back. Once again, a Canada I almost at school. A Canada team hasn't won since what did they say, 1993 or something like 93, that.
0: 93, yeah.
1: Still so wild. It's so a long drop for them, and just keeps on continuing. Uh, you mentioned two big games we got. We got one of them uh, tomorrow, which actually you'll probably be listening to this show on a Saturday night. Well, on a Saturday. So we got Copa America tomorrow on a Saturday. And then Sunday we got the big match in the Euro final, Italy versus England. Um, NBA finals, sun's up too well. You already mentioned that. And will be all-star breaks coming up here soon. Even though I'm not the biggest baseball fan, I might catch the home run derby and might watch a little bit of the all-star game that, myself. That
0: lineup is loaded. Um, we'll pull that up here in a little bit later, too. This is one of the most stacked uh, as far as – stacked field
1: for the home run derby i've seen in a long time yeah and the headline which we'll talk about later on the show that i'm excited for and you mentioned Conor mcgregor versus Dustin employer the trilogy that i'm excited for and whoever wins gets a title shot so i'm ready to talk everything about sports so i'm ready when you are
0: yeah absolutely uh we talked a little baseball here i got the reds on right now if you, you remember um a couple days ago when we just dropped episode number two. If you guys have checked it out, if you haven't, go back and listen to that one before checking this one out. Um, it's every it's available everywhere. Just go find our feed, go give it a listen, a like, share, all that good stuff. But if you remember we talked about the Reds that just blew the lead to the Royals, the bottom feeder royals, we're currently up now. Right now is are playing the the leaders in the L Central who we're chasing. Milwaukee Brewers a blue one last night, but we're up two oh right now. Um top eight. So let's hope we can finish this out. As long as we can take the series, keep that game, or this, you know, going in all star break, being around five games back, I mean we're in good shape. It could be worse. We could be the Cubbies right now because the Cubs, you mentioned, we talked about, they had lost eleven in a row. They finally just beat the Cardinals today, but in the last fourteen days, they went from contenders where they were talking about potentially buying pieces. Now there, there's talks about for Cubbies fans got to be a little nervous here and kind of an end of an era because just reading and listening to today, um, they're so far back that they've got a bunch of salary cap they're going to have to dump. They could be selling some uh, cornerstone pieces that help them win that World Series five years ago now and break the curse and been a real big part of rebuilding the Chicago Cubs. I'm talking about it's likely now that guys like Javi Baez might be on the move. Chris Bryant might be on the move. I've heard stuff that he might be going to the New York Mets as they try to strengthen their position in the lead in the NL East. Um, Some of their pitchers, like Zach Davies, Kyle Hendricks, because now this is what happens. Um, You know, all-star break. If you don't feel like you're going to be in contention because they're like eight, nine games back just in the wild card race, you know, it's time to start selling and bringing some of your young prospects up and see what happens. So... Yeah, they won today, but Cubbies fans could have their butthole puckered here as we hit a trade deadline and all-star break because it could be a lot of new uh, new faces coming up, but it could be a lot of fan favorites on the move and no longer in playing in Wrigley. A
1: little bit off topic here, but not really staying on the baseball scheme. Um, I've just seen something. Where to go, actually. Oh, something that interests me that the Yankees are up 2-0 on the Houston Astros, top of the 7th. We talked about them last show, how bad they were and how we had seen them bad. But they're beating a top-ranked, really good Houston Nationals team. So maybe they can turn the season around for that. So a lot to go. Um, the, go ahead, Zy. Si. The,
0: the Yankees, because at work, um, one of the guys there is huge Yankee fan. We've talked about it. The Yankees obviously need some help. Um They need some bullpen help. They need another really good starter, some Garrett Cole struggling. But I think they need a good outfielder as well. They have the top prospect. He's 19 years old. Jason Dominguez is a switch hitting lightning. uh, Five-tool player out in center field. You know, this is what's weird about baseball. I was talking about it with him today. In no other sport besides baseball, Do you have an electric young player who's extremely talented that you have on your roster that doesn't get a chance to play because of contract issues? Like, it doesn't happen in football. It doesn't happen in basketball. It doesn't happen anything else. But baseball, because of the way their contracts are are configured and the way teams like they keep control of the players, because players aren't allowed in baseball to become unrestricted free agents until they have so many years of service time. I think it's like uh let me look it up because I don't want to get this wrong, but I think you have to have like 4 or 5 years of service time um built up before you finally can be a free agent. And normally players don't get to become free agents the way contracts work out with an organization till normally like they're 26, 27 because your service time doesn't start until you actually start playing in the MLB. All the stuff you do in AAA and stuff doesn't matter so while you're down in the minor leagues um you know and you're not on the 40-man roster and everything your contracts are set up different so you'll get renewables and everything so basically the team has control over you for a good amount of time so that's why I, I in any other sport Jason especially with the Yankees struggling Jason Dominguez would be called up he would be in the outfield maybe not center all the time maybe he'd play in the corners or whatever he would be called up and given his chance to see what he could do. But because he's 19 and the Yankees don't want that clock to start ticking, that they're going to do whatever we other, Like historically, every other baseball team normally does. And that is let him go through the grind, spend another little while in AAA and back and forth in the minors. And then maybe by the time he's like 21, start bringing him up. And then maybe the time he's like 22, 23, then it can be full time. That's It's so crazy the way the, you know, baseball works, but that's just the reality of it. But back again on the Yankees, though, I, I think they should bring Jason Dominguez up. He's a, he's electric. He really is electric. And switch hit never hurts. He's got his cannon in center. The top prospect. But it, obviously they're not going to do that right now. Um, they need an outfielder. And I was talking, the Diamondbacks being so bad and the Marlins being a dead last in the NL East, they could go either one of the – Either one of the the Marte brothers, preferably I'd go Tell right now because he's having a really good season for a bad Diamondback team switch hitter. He can play anywhere in the outfield and he can also play second base, which is huge. Good speed, good pop in his bat. Or Starling Marte from the Marlins because we mentioned the other day that Derek Jeter, who's one of the owners of the Marlins right now, has mentioned that he's potentially on the block. So either way, the Yankees need to go out, in my opinion, go get some help out in center field help, uh, I mean, Brett Gardner's still there. You talk about when you loved the Yankees and watched them in 09, Brett Gardner was a huge piece of the Yankees then. He's still holding on playing, because they don't have, they got Judge and Stanton out there in the corners, but their center field position is fucked right now.
1: So, I didn't even know they started doing this, but this is cool, because I'm on MLB.com right now, and I was just going through some stuff, looking through some scores, looking at the, what you were talking about, the Cubs, and how they're in sell mode right now. Um, and I went back to MLB.com, the homepage, and it has like the Reds and Brewers game, and it's live on YouTube for free. It's That's called what I'm like, watching a, it. Really, it says yep. MLB Game of the Week live on YouTube. I did not know that was that you did that. I thought you yeah, pretty they cool. Do,
0: they do a game of the day. I don't know if it's once a week. I think it's like every day they do a game of the day. Yeah, yeah, you know, because I watch I watch the Reds on the Cincinnati channel, the Valley Sports Ohio. But this is on YouTube, so I've got this on as background noise as we're playing. But um, the service con the ser- – I'm trying to read this article. As far as service time goes, service time is the amount of time that a player has been on an active MLB roster or the injured list. A player becomes a free agent at the end of the season when they reach six years of service time. One year of service time, the maximum amount a player can gain in one season is 172 days. A single baseball season lasts 187 days. So basically, of the 187 days, they get 15 days where they are allowed not to be on the active roster for it to count as a full calendar year for service time. So six years. You need, Again, you think about it. some of these kids and players or whatever, these young talents don't get called up until they're 22, 23, depending So now you're looking at if that's when your calendar started for service time, I mean, you're looking 28, 29, maybe 30 years old before you finally become a free agent. And then you basically get one big contract if you're a studly player. That's why you see baseball players who are really good get these ridiculous contracts because they have to sign like that one mega one. So it's crazy. It's crazy, but. Yeah, uh, I the all-star game,
1: I'm trying to pull up that um, home run derby field right here. While you do that, real quick, um, I don't know, I think it was a couple days ago, because I'm going to see it on Instagram. Did you see the catch that Fernando Tatis Jr. made?
0: Yeah, it looked like
1: he That was jumped. wild, yeah. Is that yeah. The one you're
0: talking about, where he jumped like a million miles in the air? Yes,
1: he jumped in the moon and back. That was ridiculous.
0: Well, did you see the one earlier in the week Billy Hamilton had?
1: No, I didn't see that. But i seen Tatis. I think, Bleachery Boy, or House of Highlights I'm posted on Instagram. And I looked at it, and I was like, holy shit. Because he yeah. jumped to the moon, in fact. That was wild.
0: Yeah, uh, that, he's ridiculous. Like, he just kept skying in the air. And then the one Billy Hamilton had, earlier in the week, He uh, he's playing for the White Sox now. And it, it was a ball, I think it's out in right field. I can't remember. It was out in, like, in the corner area. But it was, like, right field, right center. And it's just a diving catch basically going back towards the wall. It was ridiculous. It it was
1: like a Superman diving catch. Yeah, that was wild watching that. I'll have to check the Billy Hamilton catch out when we're done. But, yeah, that was wild. So here's the uh, 2021
0: T-Mobile Home Run Derby brackets that just been revealed. Again, uh, All-Star break's coming up next week with the Home Run Derby being played on Monday night. In Coors Field, we talked about Coors Field along with the Great American Ballpark, uh, one of the more hitter-friendly parks in all of MLB, or the Major League Baseball. But here is the bracket. Shohei Otani is the number one seed. He's leading the MLB in home runs. He's got like 32 now. He just broke Hideki Matsui's record for uh, most home runs in a season by a Japanese player, and we're only at All-Star right now. He's, he's ridiculous, I'm telling you. He's throwing gems and batting crazy. Uh, we haven't seen really anything like it as far as being a dual threat like that since the days of Babe Ruth. Um, Shohei, the number one seed, he will face off against the Washington Nationals' Juan Soto. That'll be a fun matchup. Both lefties both got crazy pop in their back. That'll be fun. Um, four or five matchup is Kansas City Royals' catcher, uh, starting catcher in the All-Star game on Tuesday night as well for the AL. Salvador Perez, former World Series champion, he's got crazy pop for a catcher. And he's going against uh, 2019, the defending champion, since we didn't have one last or Yeah, since we didn't have one last year, um, New, York, New York Mets slugger Pete Alonzo. I mean, he, righty, he's got insane power. And then on the other side of the bracket, 2 seed Joey Gallo from the Texas Rangers, another lefty that can just smash the ball, going against seven seed, the hometown favorite right there in Colorado, playing for the Rockies in Coors Field. You've got a uh, shortstop slugging, uh, slugger Trevor story. And then rounding out the field, the three seed is Matt Olson from the, Ange- or from, not the Angels, or from the Oakland Athletics, going up against a great story in uh, of the six seed train, Trey Mancini, just coming back from. I'm um, pretty sure last year he set out because he had cancer. He had some illness that was like, I don't want to get it wrong. He's was like cancer, leukemia, or something. So he's back and he's. He's having a good return year, so that's a good story. But, I mean, any of these eight men can win it. It's not that any of them's got pop and power. But if I'm a betting man, it'd be hard not to see a final of Shohei versus maybe Joey Gallo, one versus two. But at the same time, I mean, Trevor Story is used to playing in that park. It's got pop. You know, the ball travels a little better because the elevation. So maybe it'll be Story. Maybe he can win one, right? Like he maybe he pulled Todd Frazier like a couple of years back when Frazier was the starting third baseman for the Reds and the All-Star Game was in Cincinnati and he won the home run derby. So maybe Trevor Story becomes the, uh, you know, the hometown favorite and gives the struggling Rockies something to be, yeah you know, something to cheer for this year.
1: Well, here's my prediction. And the reason I am saying this, I'll explain why. I'm picking Joey Gallo to win. Because MLB The Show 20, I think it's the last, sh- yeah, it was the last show that I actually played and actually did a franchise on with the Reds. And my friend, who does he play for, by the way? The play? Rangers. The Rangers, that's what I thought. I ended up trading for him to get him to play for the Reds in my franchise. And I stuck him at like the fourth or fifth batting posi- position uh-huh. and, or batting order. And I used to hit bombs with him. He was so fun to play with. Him and Yasuo played really was like the two guys I loved playing with. So just on that alone, because I had bombs, I, I made him go yard like 20 times, um, and then we'll be the show 20. I think he's going to yard in the Derby. So Good, I'm picking there. Joey Gallo.
0: There you go. Joey bombs for Peyton's prediction to win. I, I mean, it's going to be hard not to go get hey, But I'll, I'll go with the hometown favorite. I'll say Trevor Story has some magic and uh, wins this thing. But here's a breakdown of all eight participants, where they stand right now as far as home runs. Of course, we mentioned Otani, 32. He isn't only on pace to shatter the Angels franchise record 47 in a season. He has a chance of hitting 60 after slugging 13 home runs in the month of June and four so far in July. His longest he's hit this year so far is 470 feet. That is a mile. Joey Gallo has his second with 23 home runs. The longest he's hit this year is 462. Matt Olson has 21 on the year. He's hit one 445 salvi perez with 20 home runs on the year 460s his longest so far pete alonso has got 15 um and keep in mind not only did he win the home run derby in 2019 but he also set a rookie record he had 53 home runs that year too a couple years back um and it also says a little side note he should enjoy Co- and should enjoy coors field because as 14 of his 15 home runs have come on the road nice Won't- the longest home run he's hit this year is 443. Train Bencini, he's got 15 home runs. The longest he's hit is 451. Trevor Story's only got the 11, but he's more of a get-on guy. But he, he's in the derby for a reason. Um, the longest he's hit is 466. He's hit one a tank, too. And then Juan Soto's got 11 as well. He's hit one 437. So it should be really, really interesting. Home run derby is always extremely fun, um, especially since the last couple of years they've tweaked the format a little bit. Um, the Derby's always fun. It is. Uh, and you think about it, too. One last thing before we move on. The Derby, I was thinking about this the other day. Isn't it weird the comparison between, like, for instance, um, baseball and basketball or football? Because anymore, the dunk contest used to be so fun, right? It's you lame. Be, it's so, you, yeah, it's lame. But you used to have the best of the best. Kobe did one. Michael did one, et <clears throat> We've begged for years and years LeBron to do one and he won't do it. Zion won't do it. So now you've got to settle for guys. Yeah, they're they're good dunkers, but they're not the superstars. Like it, the home run derby has always got superstars. Yeah. Always. They're begging to do it. So I wish those players from like the NBA would take a take a page from the baseball guys, but that's eh, it's whatever, I guess. But yeah, yeah. the all-star breaks coming up. Reds, like I said, I got them on the background. Uh, hopefully, they can finish this one. I get the Brewers win the series tomorrow and uh, going with a lot of momentum into All-Star break. So, got my fingers crossed there. I'm, I'm curious to see if we do anything at the deadline too, considering that we'll be in we're in the hunt for a playoff first. I wonder if we try to strengthen uh, our pitching rotation at all because that's like probably our one weakness, especially in the bullpen. So, i wonder if we'll have any cap room to make some moves be really interesting but nonetheless let's move on Peyton we got these mega mega finals in the world of football we've talked about in the first couple episodes let's get right into our breakdowns and previews let's start with the first one on deck tomorrow night down in South America the Copa America final between powerhouse the Brazilian national team versus the Argentine national team in Brazil huge rivals as we mentioned last episode Peyton, this has got fireworks written all over it. I think I mentioned that last one. I'd be highly surprised if this isn't one of those, like, five-goal thrillers. Um, You've got Neymar versus Messi. You've got Di Maria versus Paqueta. Um, There's a lot of talent, a lot of exciting potential and youth on both sides. This could be fireworks. That's what I'm expecting. I'm expecting tomorrow night, 8 o'clock on Fox, that it's going to be
1: fireworks. Before I talk about this game, I actually want to give a huge shout out to Luis Diaz, who plays for Colombia, who ended up scoring that equalizing goal in the Argentina game to send it into penalty kicks. In um, the third place winner game today uh, between them and Peru, um, Colombia ended up winning 3 to 2, and Luis Diaz ended up having a brace in that game. And plus, he scored a crazy. Um, outside the foot shot, outside the box, and he might have played it. I don't know what he plays for or who he plays for, uh, but he might have played himself into getting a big-time offer here soon because, especially in these tournaments, I mean, Josh, you know, uh, I remember, like, in the 2014 World Cup, Ochoa, the goalkeeper from uh, Mexico, had a hell of a run playing in the goalie for them, and he ended up, I think he went to La Liga after that or something like that, but... Yeah, especially in these big international tournaments. If you have a good season or if you have a good tournament, then the big names will start calling you. And this might happen with this kid because he's actually fun to watch. Um
0: oh, sure. You got me real quick. It said like I had some like audio issues. You got me though? Yeah, I got you. Okay, we'll keep that in the show. It's just live on the spot. You know what I'm saying? So continue
1: Yeah. On. Um, but yeah, this kid's phenomenal. Um, I have to find out more information on him, see if he's linked anywhere. Cause I mean, I don't think we would need him at but you never know. Someone else could, but anyways, yeah, Brazil is Argentina. It's a rivalry.
0: Um, Before you go ahead, won, like we've talked about in the first couple episodes. How about a guy like Jeremy Doku? Nobody really knew his name outside of Belgium. And then he has that one crazy performance versus Italia. And then we have just mentioned it a couple, you know, the other episode ago that all of a sudden now you've got some big names knocking on the door. Bayern Munich and Liverpool are knocking on the door asking about Jeremy Doku because he had this crazy performance considerably.
1: Same thing with Spinatola or yeah. Spinazola. I don't know why I said Tola. Um, Same thing with him before he got injured. So, yeah. Uh, Brazil and Argentina, this game is going to be. A blockbuster. It's going to be very entertaining. Um, I literally see probably no defense in this game. I think it's going to be a thrill, like you said. It's going to be a lot of scoring. Messi versus Neymar, um, Fred for uh, Brazil. Like they got a really talented squad. And Brazil, I know that they should be the favorites. If they're not, it's kind of stupid, especially since they're playing at Brazil. And they rightfully they should be the favorites, right? I mean, they're playing great football right now. Yeah, it's a very talented squad. Neymar at the front is having a hell of a Copa America so far. And Messi on his team, he's having a great Copa America as well. Um, This is a toss up between me because I actually don't know who's going to win. That's why it's so exciting and so uh, highly anticipated and heading into this match on Saturday. Um, I actually need to see what time they play, but uh, 8 o'clock. So it's good. It's going to be a late night game, and I'll be able to uh, at least keep up with it. Um, I'll watch a little bit of it. But yeah, this game's gonna be great. I don't know who's gonna win. But I'm definitely excited for it. It's gonna be a lot of scoring, hopefully.
0: So here's the deal: Messi absolutely needs this for his legacy. Not that the fact that it's gonna like he's gonna be a boy, his legacy's intact. Like Lionel Messi, his legacy's there. But at, on the international level, he's had some good Argentina teams. They made the World Cup final as we mentioned in 2014 came up short against Germany in extra time. He's got another chance to win some silverware finally with his country and opportunities, let's be honest, opportunities for him are running out. He doesn't have many times left to play in that that powder blue and white shirt that says Argentina Mm -hmm. on the front. So he's got to get one now. Neymar might have a few more opportunities because he's a little bit younger than Messi, but – Neymar, or sorry, Messi has to get this done to finally get some silverware um, to complete his collection. Ronaldo's got his for Portugal, so it's time for Messi. I'm I'm so excited for this one because the rivalry these two always put on fireworks. Even if the scoreline is two one, they normally have crazy back and forth games. For the ninety minutes and maybe even plus here, I expect fireworks. I I can see a player off the bench that be, that becomes you know like a super sub that changes the flow really of the game. Like yeah. how about the experienced Sergio Aguero? We yeah. talked about the other day. He didn't even play. He didn't not. He was sitting there with all them goals and all the experience and all the talent. He didn't come in and play not one minute against Colombia. So maybe he's got something to prove and can turn the tide. Um, maybe Brazil's got somebody. It's going to be so interesting. But as far as the prediction goes, I just don't see how you deny Messi. So here's what I see happen. I see early on the crowd being. Well, I guess there is no crowd, is there? No, there's not. In the final. Nope. Okay.
1: Yeah, that's no doubt.
0: But even still being in their backyard, I can feel a support going into the match. I can see Brazil going out early. 20 minutes in, half an hour in, Brazil scores, whether it's Neymar, whether it's Paqueta, or whoever it may be, I can see Brazil going out front. But I can equally see Messi setting somebody up, whether it be a Di Maria, because Messi's such a great passer. He picks out passes. He Remember for a while there in Barcelona, he used to play that false nine, where he would drop in the middle of the field or middle of the pitch, pick out passes, then make runs himself or take somebody else 1v1 and create opportunities for himself and his teammates. He can do it all. He can play on the left, the right, as a false nine. He's not really an out-and-out out number nine, but he can, he can do it all. Messi's going to leave an impact in this game. So I guess I'm beating around the bush. <clears throat> I like that. I can see Brazil going up early. Messi, their score, their creates the chance for somebody else. It's tied. And then it gets crazy from there. I'm going to predict an outlandish score line. I'm going to predict it goes in extra times or extra time. Argentina wins 4-3. Messi with a brace and gets the assist on the other two. You're going to see Lima Messi's uh Handiwork all over this match, and as far as Brazil goes, I think Neymar gets one. It'd probably be off a penalty. I'm just being honest because he loves the dive, and I bet that being you know, being in Brazil, they'll probably be favorable to give it to him inside the box because Argentina's defending at times can be a little a little sloppy. Um, reminds me a lot of the Portuguese side. But uh, what Neymar probably gets one, <laughs> but I just see this being a. A classic Lionel Messi handiwork. He scores a brace, gets a brace as far as a CIS goes. Argentina wins the Copa America, and Messi finally gets some silverware for his country.
1: See – my nickname used to be, well, my nickname on everything college basketball was Mr. Recruiter. On this podcast, it's called Mr. Producer. So let me do my job producing. And come up a little bit of a history facts for you guys, just real quick. This article was posted on April twenty or April twenty third of twenty twenty. Um, let's see. The rivals have faked each other more than one hundred eleven times. Brazil has won forty six games, and Argentina has won forty games, and the the twenty five ended in a draw. Um, let's see here. Uh, let's see. In, in a way, both of these teams made each other great. Argentina were made ahead in the other championships like Copa America, which they won that 14 times, and Brazil has won it nine times. Um, real quick, you were talking about Messi and how this has come to his final moments as Argentina, um, or as the Argentina man. I just want to say this real quick. You think about some of the greatest players in football history. You think of guys like Pelé maradona um zidane you think of who else um anyone else Cristiano Ronaldo. all those guys have the same thing in common and they've all won an international trophy some of them have won world cup Cristiano has won the nations league and he won the euros in 2016. all those guys have the same thing in common they at least won one tournament possibly more For the country. Messi has yet to done that. And he's had multiple opportunities to do so. He's been in two Copa America finals. Possibly more. I know two without a doubt. In back-to-back years. 2015-2016. He was in the 2014 World Cup. Which he actually had a chance to equalize against Germany. A free kick. And he skied it. So it's not like he has not had any opportunities. Portugal has. Let's see. They had like two opportunities. And they missed the first chance to get one. And they end up getting the second one. So... He's had multiple opportunities. I think this time, because I don't think they're going to win World Cup next year or whenever next year or whenever it's going to be. I don't think they will. This is probably his best chance to win a tournament for his country than any other chances he's ever had. Um, just my personal opinion. With that being said, first half, I think it's actually going to be nil-nil. Second half, I think it's going to be fucking wild. I think it's going to be a lot of goal scoring in the second half because both teams are going to get very aggressive, very early on of the second half. Um, I can see both teams scoring two goals, maybe three goals apiece. Um, I do see this game going in extra time because in the finals, unlike the other games, it actually has extra time and then penalties. But I think Brazil, I think Brazil being in their back home, last time they was in their home for a big game, international game, they got flashed by Germany 7-1 in the 2014 World Cup. Um, I don't think they're going to let that happen again. I think they're going to get the job done. They're going to win the Copa and make a final. And once again, Messi's going to come up just short. Uh, I think Neymar's going to have a goal. I think Proquetto will probably have a couple goals, one or two. And then the last one or whatever it is, um, I think Brazil's going to win by one goal. I don't have a score. I'll say maybe four. I'll say three, two. Just be a little bit different the way you are. Brazil wins.
0: We'll find out on Saturday, tomorrow night, or I guess tonight, as you're listening to the show, 8 o'clock on Fox Sports. Uh, it's going to be fireworks. I'd be highly surprised if <laughs> if all of a sudden they're playing uh, Jose Mourinho style from the get-go. So uh, these teams are built to go out and get you put on a show. Classically on a messy, get a chance to watch one of the greatest of all, not just our generation, but one of the greatest of all time, one of the greatest footballers ever. That this sport has world has ever seen. See if he can finally win some silverware. Let's move on to the main event on Sunday afternoon in London, England. Peyton, I just checked the weather for Sunday, tonight. You know, Saturday, tomorrow, whenever. Tomorrow, right now, but you know, Saturday as you guys are listening, it's going to be rainy. And then on Sunday, when the matches play at three o'clock in London, it's going to be a high of seventy degrees. 20% 20% chance of precipitation, so the field and weather should be fairly nice, maybe even a little bit on the chilly side. But 70 degrees will be beautiful, and it's going to be even more beautiful when it's coming Rome, baby, because the Italians, the Azurri, go and take down the three lions. I'm just calling it now. I know you're not supposed to give predictions before you talk about it, but I'm excited. I'm so pumped. This is a, Italy's first chance to win. Um, a major competition and rewrite some of them demons for the first time since winning the World Cup back in 2006. Mancini's got this team rolling. By the way, do you know the last time the Italian national team has lost a match? Uh,
1: no, I don't know.
0: September, I want to say it's the first or 19th. It was September of 2018, and they lost 1-0 to Portugal.
1: <laughs> that was actually the 2019 Nations League, I think.
0: It was the year that we won, maybe. Yeah, it It had to be because
1: we was in the same group stage.
0: I could have swore it was 20. They said 2018, maybe it was 2019. I think it was 2019,
1: but I don't know. I could be wrong.
0: Regardless, the last loss was to Portugal a couple years ago. This Aziri team has been revamped, and it's like like all these analysts said, it's not the Italy that everybody and your grandfather grew up with, where you score once and then play two packs of five behind the ball and just trying to hit you on the counter. This is a young, exuberant side that wants to press you, make you turn the ball over, keep possession and go score goals like crazy. Peyton, when you have guys like Federico Chiesa, Lorenzo Insigne, um, Berardi, Jorginho, it's a fun Italian side. I said it last episode, it seems like we're destined to win this thing. I know England feels the same way right there in their backyard. By the way, England's never lost a competition um, that counted for anything in Wembley. So a lot of craziness, and we just seen that stat today. Italy has owned England in major competitions here lately. I think we're, what, like 4-0 against them yeah. in the major competitions between the Euros and the World Cup. So somebody's streak's going to end here on Sunday. And I'm just telling you right now, um, I'm confident The Italians win this. Before we get into the official breakdowns, previews, and everything, this is a massive, massive game on the horizon, Peyton. Your thoughts, kind of feelings as we head into (laughs) Sunday in Wembley?
1: A little bit of coincidence here. Um, That I seen a stat earlier today. Well, it's not really a stat, but I guess it's kind of true. Last In 2012, do you know who won the Premier League? It was Manchester City. Okay. You know who won the Champions League that year? Uh, Chelsea. Chelsea. It was Chelsea. And you know who lost in the Euro Finals? Italy. You know who won last year's or this year's Champions League?
0: Oh, you're right. And Chelsea. who
1: won Premier League?
0: Man City.
1: And who's in the finals of the Euros again?
0: Fuck you.
1: It's Italia. It's coming home. I think I really want Italy to win I think they're very young, but also they still have experience in the back with Chiellini and Bonucci. They have a great goalkeeper and John Luigi. I almost said Buffon. John uh, Luigi Donnarumma. I think they're one of the favorites heading into World Cup next year. That might be the time they actually win a big tournament, the major tournament. But I think England with Harry Kane, Raheem Sterling, Phil Foden, all the Jordan Henderson. Um, they got a very talented squad. And I think England is going to win 2-1. And also another fact, why I say 2-1, Donaluma, This I know this whole tournament, maybe his whole time playing for Italy. I think I've seen a stat where uh, he has yet to give up two goals. Yeah, his whole time. Since his time whole time playing for Italy. And, of course, the one time he's going to give up two goals is the one time they're going to lose. And that streak will be broken. Unfortunately, I really want Italy to win. Um, It's going to be a fun match. But especially since England being in Wembley, that crowd is going to be electric. Um, Yeah, England wins. Let's
0: break it down. Italy's obviously, unless something crazy changes, Mancini changes his mind. Italy's coming out in a 4-3-3, more of an attacking because they're going to high press. And Italy's going to, or sorry, England's going to come out in the 4 2 3 1, play two center defensive halves, great pace on the wings. It, here's some pros and cons for both. So, Italy, if they continue their normal strategy, they're going to high press. That is good because you have attacking young, useful guys for the most part. Um, Immobile should, if he starts like he probably will. He, at least he'll try to press up high. And then you have Chiesa and Insigne. And then the, the middle three pushing us up. And I don't think – I think if England has weaknesses a lot like Italy, it's going to be in their back line. Now, obviously, Italy, their two center backs are rock solid. And England's got a pair of good center backs as well, John Stones and, um, and uh, Harry Maguire. But the fullbacks, Luke Shaw has been good in this tournament. Mm, fell by him yeah luke shaw's been goodness um the reds just won by the way they just 2-0. but um luke shaw's been good but he's not been under pressure let's face it england has not played the quality of competition that italy's had to to get here and england struggled with scotland they struggled with denmark and neither one of those sides have the attacking force that italy does um, nor do they have the world-class midfielders that the italians do italy's been battle tested their last two three matches in this knockout stage austria belgium and spain i think that comes in a factor and i think once they start high pressing will luke shaw and will john stones and harry Maguire and even some of the midfielders um calvin phillips are they going to be able to be poised and patient enough to play the ball either over the top to get to Harry Kane and Sterling and the guys on the run and Sokka if he starts? Or will they be patient enough to quick pass through, get possession, then break out? We're going to find out because they've not had to been pressed like this yet. Also, I think one of the things that people aren't talking about on Italy mm-hmm. – we have a world-class goalkeeper in Zizio Donnarumma. Yep. On, on the other hand, England, <clears throat> Jordan Pickford, who is very questionable. We've seen him not be so decisive and be very sketchy in some key moments. I mean, yeah, that the Mikel Damsgaard free kick was a thing of beauty. But also, you have to think that a keeper like Donnarumma mm-hmm. or Neuer or name another world-class goalkeeper – Herstegen, you know, Allison, one of those guys are in better position because that, that free kick really caught Pickford. <coughs> by Sometimes he comes off of his line and puts himself in bad spots. He's going to be under fire more this game than any game in the tournament. And I think that could be a very, very high questionable mark for England if he starts getting, you know, if Italy has their way with this high press, he's going to be under attack. He's going to have to deal with a lot of different runs, shots from coming wide, midfielders like Barella making runs on the inside and taking shots, Chiesa's creativity. We're going to find out. And if Pickford can't handle it, Italy's scoring a handful of goals, not just one. They're going to score three or four. And I think that's a key fact that not a lot of people are taking into account right now.
1: Okay. Um, I agree what I'm saying, but that's, I'm not going to put too much effort. Or I'm not going to pit too much against Pickford, even though I agree he has been He recently. I'm not going to pit too much against him on that free kick because that free kick was just nasty. It was a thing of beauty, like you said. And also, if you go back and watch the video, the Denmark wall, because they had a wall there like normal teams do on free kicks that close. As soon as he's going to hit the ball, as soon as he was going to do the free kick, um, they moved right in front of Pickford's vision. So he had He had basically just had to guess, and like you said, call him by surprise. Um, I don't think any goalkeeper, Courtois, it doesn't matter, world-class goalkeepers, I don't think they're going to say that as well because that was just a beautiful uh, free kick by Dansburg. Anyways, um, one thing that scares me about high pressure, when teams at high pressure, and it almost happened in the Belgium game and actually almost kind of happened in the Spain game as well, is I don't mind you high pressure, but teams like this, when they have a guy like Raheem Sterling on the wing, who dominated in the Denmark game. By the way, that was not a penalty.
0: We're going to get to that. One of the things that scares me potentially about this match. But go ahead.
1: Yeah. Because if you start high pressuring and you're so worried about getting that goal early on or just really high pressuring uh, to get them all, to get in their back line frustrated or to make them make a mistake or even pick to make the mistake. If you're, if you get onto an attack And say some of your fullbacks come up or whatever the case may be. It's so easy for them to just hit a long ball to Raheem Sterling and get on a counter-attack and let him go to work. Because your fullbacks, you don't have Spinozola there, who's a great one-on-one defender. Um, I'm thinking Emerson's probably going to have to match up with him. Um, And who's your other fullback? um, Oh, uh, DiLuenza And him. I think he's questionable as well. I don't really think he's a great one-on-one defender as well. So that's what scares me about this game. Is a guy like Raheem Sterling um, blitzing down the wings with his pace. You've seen what Doku did to you guys. Even though he didn't score, you've seen what he did to you guys. And that's what I said. At, that's what I told you after this Belgium game. After they beat Belgium, I was like, because everybody probably knew it was going to be Italy versus England in the final. least had a very good chance of it being that way. Um, if a guy like Doku, even though he was incredible, no offense to him. If he can do that, what can a guy like Raheem Sterling, who is a world-class winger, uh, plays at Manchester City, can score goals himself, and can set his teammates up, especially with that kind of pace and dribbling ability? That's what terrifies me.
0: No, I'm with you. Um, it brings up a good point, too. Um, Italy say they they go with their traditional high press. Um, yeah, yeah, it's going to put pressure on England. We're going to find out if England can play through the back and stuff but you're right, like Belgium did, one of the the negative things, especially when you have aging center backs and full backs that you don't have full full um, confidence in, like Emerson and Di Lorenzo or maybe it's Aloy who comes on or whoever, um, is you push them up towards the midfield line. Well, now if you're caught in a counter and you're slow, because um, you are going to be a little slower if you get caught on a counter recovering, England has got all sorts of pace on the wings. Uh, Harry Kane's is going to be blitzing through the middle, and a guy like Jack Grealish is probably going to be right there through the center playing right behind. It, it's going to create a lot of um, spots where it basically puts Donald Ruma in, in jeopardy a lot. Um, you know, a, we talked about the Belgium match, of course. Um, they were able to get it at least a one time with Doku um, – but Italy was always able to get back. Of course, they had to spin at Sola as well. So, so I'm with you there. But it's, again, if England can counter that. Th- there's no guarantees that England can counter. Because we see what Spain did to Italy and how much it takes out of you. If you're constantly chasing the ball and you're constantly under attack where you can't ever get set, then it wears you down. As far as Italy goes, we've seen them tired against Spain. I'm hoping that's just an anomaly. To be completely honest, I hope it's not a um, a fitness issue where it comes back to bite them against England as far as maybe some certain players being tired more so than the others or whatnot, but we're going to find out. And you mentioned the wingers and the pace. Obviously, Harry Kane is the best striker that's going to be on this pitch. He's better than any striker striker or attacker that Italy can put out there. But let's see what Kane can do because he's going to have to play against experienced center backs. He's going to have a hard time going against uh, Benucci and Chiellini. He's great in the air as far as finding the ball. Um, we're going to find out if he, can, if he can break through that Italian wall. And the one thing about England, too, the people that we're not talking about, we haven't said much, they're the best defense um, in this tournament. They've only given up one goal. They've conceded one goal this whole tournament. Yeah. Um, and that was to um, Denmark. Yep. So – a lot of questions are going to be answered. I'm just, if we look at position for position, we start with the number nine. Who has the advantage? Um, England's got the advantage. Kane's better than Immobile. He's better than Belotti. Raspadori, if Raspadori came on, which would be really interesting, by the way, because he's younger, he would give England a much different look than than Belotti or Immobile. But England wins that matchup, the number nine. If you look at the wings, if you're taking in Insigne and Chiesa versus um, Sterling and Saka or Sancho, I think that's a real close one. I think you'd probably give the slight edge to Sterling, but you know what Sterling does is the same thing Chiesa does for Italy yeah. in a lot of ways. Creativity, pace, can strike and score a multitude of ways. Um, to me, that's a wash. Midfield, there's not, a, there's not too much of doubt. If you're going midfield, player for player, Italy's got the world-class advantage. And I mean, England's got a great midfielder. Our Jack Grealish, they've got uh, Calvin <clears throat> Phillips, they've got Declan Rice, they can bring on Jordan Henderson. Mm-hmm. But the Italian three went on, especially Verratti, Jorginho, um, <clears throat> um, Barella, and then you bring in guys like Pessina and Locatelli very very tough midfield and then the back line you'd probably give the edge especially fullbacks to England and then maybe you consider a wash on center backs and then goalkeeper Italy's got the advantage so with all that being said I think Italy's got the slight advantage but England's also never lost a major competition at home in Wembley Stadium so it's so interesting this is such a tight battle and so tight that right now on FanDuel that the line barely has England as the slight favorite, like a plus 190. Italy's at a plus 200. I mean, it's a tight, tight, tight line right now on FanDuel. And for all I mean, for all good reasons, to be honest with you, it's uh, going to be very interesting.
1: Let me throw a question out here for you. Because something we were talking, I just thought about this. Which It's actually a good question, a good point here. This whole tournament, Italy has yet to trail at all. Yeah. They have yet – and because my question is, what happens if England goes up on them? What, better yet, what happens if England strikes first? Because this whole tournament, Italy has striked first in every game, in the knockout stage and the group stage. Whether first half or second half, they've gotten the first goal. They haven't had to worry about battling back or getting equalized on themselves. They had to strike first. So what happens in this game if England strikes first – especially early one in the game, or even in the second half.
0: So that's a good question. That's a really good point as well. Um, The closest we came to seeing that is when Austria. Austria. uh, Austria about took the lead on them, and the goal was disallowed. Um, And if you remember, Italy tried to press forward, but it did allow um, Austria to be able to get behind in space too, and that's the thing about it. I don't know. I really don't know because we've never seen Italy, or not in this tournament at least, play from behind. If they go down 1-0, um, at any point in the match, you know, we're going to have to see a better Ciro Immobile regardless. He's going to have to continue to break off runs. He's going to be more aggressive. But I think Italy, regardless, is going to look a lot better if Bilotti's in, um, especially especially if they need to link up play and maybe slow down. Because maybe England puts the pressure on. Maybe they decide to use their youth and press up a little bit, um, in which case Bilotti was the only one against Spain to calm the nerves a little bit his strength was at least strong enough to hold the line um, allow some link up play. Because the one thing the England fullbacks cannot afford to have happen is the Italians getting in a groove playing off their fullbacks and allowing the, the wingers, especially Insigne and uh, Chiesa to make runs. Because if that happens, I think England's in for a long match. Because the creativity of Insigne in form and Chiesa in form and even Berardi coming off the, off the bench, um, that's a lot to ask for. But but what happens if Italy goes down and, say, Immobile's still not playing good, maybe you don't bring Bellotti on until late. Because he's only got so much in the gas tank. Yeah, He's only got so much. He's got maybe 15, 20 good minutes in him right now. Maybe you bring on Raspadori, the youngster. Maybe you let his young legs go try to be creative and or maybe go two at the top or maybe bring in. I mean, you don't really want to play a false nine, but maybe you move. Are you bringing Bernadeschi in? And, yeah, I don't know. I I don't know what happens, but it'd be interesting for sure because, like you said, we've not (laughs) been – Italy have to play from behind, but we'll find out a lot about them. Um, I'd feel more comfortable if was out there.
1: Oh, yeah, 100%.
0: I'd feel way more comfortable if Spinatolo was out there because he would attack, create opportunities with the ball in. and all. Italy still is missing one, one key thing, and that's a number nine who has got the killer's mentality. If, if Italy finds a number, like we talked about Spain, between now and the World Cup, if Italy finds a number nine that has that absolute killer's mentality, well, he'll kill you on the feet and he'll kill you in the air, Italy's going to win the World Cup next year. Yeah, yeah I, I believe that. Um, Without a doubt. Especially um will probably be the right back. So right back won't be Di Lorenzo anymore. But that's looking ahead. Um, the one thing, let's go back to the penalty thing. The one thing that scares me is that there's going to be so much me. That place is going to be jumping on Sunday. Uh, you're talking about Wembley is going to be absolutely a madhouse. There will be a good, healthy supporters of Italians. But that thing is going to be 75% English um, right there in Wembley looking to see history young and old trying to get their first taste of glory since 1966 or maybe ever for a lot of them if if Italy or sorry if England gets anywhere close to the box especially late in the match maybe not so um, much early yes. but especially late in the match in that final half or final quarter of an hour the final 15 minutes if Sterling or Saka or Kane or Sancho or maybe a Jack Grealish or Mason Mount makes a run and Italy gets any part of their body, you know what they're doing.
1: Yeah, that's all they're, the they're, going,
0: they're going down, and they're hoping for that penalty. That's yeah. the only thing that scares me. I'm mm-hmm. telling you right now, especially it could I mean I could see it if Italy's up, right? And here's another thing: Italy's not shown in this tournament like they we mentioned at the beginning. Of this that. Uh, you know, this is a forward-thinking Italian side. It's not your grandfather's Italy where they hold back after a one nil lead. Then, you know, they get one, they'll want to go for two or three reasonably. But what I don't want from Italy is you're up, say you're up one nil and at 65 minutes in and only the 25 remaining in regular time. I don't want to start playing. That's way too early to start playing defensive. Because if you start doing that and give in, or a team like England too much of the ball, they're going to score. Like anytime you give somebody that much of the ball, they're going to score more times than not. It always happens. That's what's happening in Spain. Yeah, I was going to
1: mention it. Just like Spain, Spain equalized at the 80th minute
0: because you give them too much of the ball. So I'm okay with the strategy and maybe the final eight minutes, 10 minutes. Just put hold on, go defensive if you need to, go to the corner flag. But I'm so worried that or England is going to, late in the match, find themselves near the box. Whether they're touched or not, they're going to dive. And because of the pressure and the weight of it, that the refs are going to make the wrong call. That, I'm so worried. I'm telling you right now. And that's not an excuse because we've seen it. That was not a penalty. It was him. not. It wasn't. But, but you've seen where the game was played at and everything else. I'm, I am worried about that fact. Italy needs to be up, like, two goals by then.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think as they very well-could-be.
0: It's so interesting. This is the first time in a while I've seen a match where the balance – two teams are so even. That's awesome. And it's so much of a toss-up because you just don't know what side's showing up. This is so much like the um, Baylor-Gonzaga NCAA championship match. Um, you, you just don't know what side's going to show up. I don't know, man. I don't know. It's going to be a good one. It would have to be awful to be a stinker. I mean, it, it should be good.
1: Well, even if it's awful, it's a final. And say if it, it's no nil to hold the game, it's even going to like, penalty kicks. You know how bad an England is, a penalty kick. So, like, even in, you'll at least get some excitement throughout the game, even if it's boring uh, 90 minutes and if it goes to extra time. Um, so, I don't know. I don't think it's going to go next time. I don't think it's going to go in the pillow. I think England gets the job done 2 1. Um, but, eh, you know what? I'm going to be rocking my Italian shirt, eating some Italian food. Yeah, um, we're doing a little
0: party for it, too. A little a little party representing Azzurri. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. The, the the England fullback, or sorry, not full. the England wingers, <coughs> Harry Kane, that attack scares me. But also, at the same time, I'm very, very confident in our wingers and our midfield game and Chiellini, Benucci. I'm confident in Gijo Donnarumma. The only thing I'm nervous about, to be honest, is I'm nervous about how uh, Ciro Mobile, uh, Chir- uh, Chir- uh, if he decides to show up or not, what he do, and I'm nervous about our fullbacks. That's the only spot I'm nervous about. If, I, if, if our fullbacks can hold their own, then Italy's definitely winning. If they can just hold their own and neutralize what Sterling and Saka and all of them do, Italy's winning, and I don't think that's in doubt at all. If Sterling, Saka, the wing, you know, the wingers from England can uh, be creative and have a bunch of space and time to pick out passes or make runs, then it's going to be dicey and it probably favors England.
1: Here's what I think, and this is how I think Italy will get their goal, maybe a couple goals. Is um, guys like Chiesa and uh, Ixigne, I seen it in the Spain game. It happened, kind of. It happened pretty much in the Belgium game as well. Teams like England or Belgium, they really, they're just going to take on that pressure from Italy. They'll back the defense will start backing up just so they can take all the pressure. And then once they win the ball, they'll get on a counterattack. I can see England doing the same thing. But if you give guys like Chiesa and Incindia too much space in the midfield, they've proven they can hit some beautiful shots That's outside beautiful. the box. Yes. I can see a guy like Chiesa doing what he did against Spain uh, or Incindia doing what he did against, uh, who was it, Belgium? Yeah, I think it was Belgium. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, if you give them too much space, if you're worried about taking on that pressure so you can get a counterattack, you can't give them too much space because you've seen what they've done in the past in this tournament. So, that's another thing to look out for. Either way, I think it should be a good game, whether Italy wins or England wins. It should be fun to watch. I'm excited. Yeah,
0: it, it's going to be crazy. Um, so, you've got England official prediction 2-1. I'm going to okay. say the Azuri win... Um, I... I don't know when it'll be regulation or extra times. I don't think it'll quite go to penalties. If it does, I'm definitely confident in us winning the penalties. But yeah. uh, I'm, a, I'm in agreement with you, just flip scoreline. I'm going to say Italy wins 2 uh, 1, almost a 2 0. Italy wins 2 1, gets a late winner at about the 74th minute. Chiesa, of course, scores. And I'm going to say off the bench, Manuel Locatelli scores. Mm. so so and then for England it's probably going to be Sterling or Kane I don't think anybody else has built a score on that team um it could be but it's it's a fun I'm so nervous about it man I've been nervous and excited all week since the final was set I'm so excited though it's going to be crazy from the word go like I said we're having that little party uh, the Azuri, the chance to reclaim their throne. and I mean, they've already put the football world on notice that Italy's back. We're no longer anybody's doorstep, but this could be the start of a new Italian journey where, hey, world championship number five next year could be coming back and get one, you know, get right there with Brazil for the most in the world again. Um, looking at, oh, man, we'll, we'll save that for after. We're like, as we you know, review the results and everything, look ahead to the World Cup a little bit for each team next year. But, man, I can't wait for uh, Davide Calabria to join the club and be the starting right back from now on for Italy because him and Spinazzola on left and right is going to go. But anyway, that's for future down the line. Um, so, yeah, Italy, England, European championships on the line on Sunday, 3 o'clock. Wembley Stadium in London, England. Can't wait. Um, Three Lions are going down. That's all I'm going to say. Three Lions are going down. Four you know what's... Azuri. It's coming Rome.
1: You know what's funny? I actually have an England shirt. Yeah, I forgot I about it. Yeah. I, well, I wore it about a week ago or something like that. It's a good... I mean, I like the shirt. It has the Lions on it. it says E-N-G on it. it. stands for England. Don't, so, me, yeah. don't
0: forget. I'm going to bring you my, uh, my Azuri shirt. Oh, I have okay. one. I've got...
1: I have one? an it yeah, I have an Italy shirt. I wore it in the Spain game.
0: Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Oh no, yeah. I
1: wore I wore it in the Belgian game, not the Spain game.
0: Well I'll bring I'll bring the extra one for somebody else to wear. Yeah, we're gonna it'll be fun. I'll, but um yeah, I can't wait, man. It it's so oh, I'm so excited. Oh man, it's gonna be so fun. I really hope the ad win. Um Immobile scares me. I don't know why he's so bad for that Zittery, but maybe this is the chance he breaks out. Who knows? Maybe this is the final the match where he just decides, all right, it's time to be Lazio, Ciro Mobley. Speaking of real, real quick before we end the soccer talk, um, preseason for clubs are really kind of starting to kick in now. We've still got, obviously, the finals of these major competitions. The Gold Cup is getting a uh, start where the USA is going to be playing in. We'll be covering that, talking about that, as we probably are headed to another um, U.S. versus Mexico classic battle, which will be fun. But clubs are starting to pick it up because next month in August, um, we've got clubs returning competition. We've already got Champions League first round qualifiers and second round qualifiers going on. I just checked those yesterday and like smaller levels. And uh, AC Milan has returned to um, the uh, Milanello to start training and getting in you know, preseason form and fitness, getting ready for the new season, Davide Calabria. We just, um, a couple of re-signings and signings, we uh, officially re-upped with Davide Calabria, gave him a new contract. Um, Olivier Giroud is coming Monday for medicals. He will be joining Milan uh, probably in the next week officially from Champions League winner Chelsea. So that would be another experienced striker to kind of tag along, and we're still trying to buy a new younger one as well. Um, Brahim Diaz should be announced as returning to Milan with a buy or with an option to buy for 22 million very soon, along with a 27 million dollar buyback next season should Madrid want him back as well. Um, so yeah, exciting times. I can't wait for Milan football to be back. We're back in the Champions League, League where we belong. So. Hopefully this could be the year where we make a good run in the Champions League and win the Scudetto.
1: Um, Real quick, Real Madrid, they start their preseason on July 25th. It's on a Sunday. We play uh, Rangers FC. Um, our, our first match in the Liga is uh, August 14th. We play Alaves. I think that's going to be – I think that's a home game. Oh, wait, that's a friendly. Just kidding. When do we oh, – oh, that's funny. We opened the season open the season on my birthday. We played Levante. Oh, so cool. for a birthday celebration. Hopefully we can get the dubs start off our campaign off right to win the champ well, not to win the champions league, but to win La Liga. We claim my phone because we won it two years ago. Atletico won it last season. Um hopefully we can reclaim my throne and become a league of champions again. Start the season off right, but uh Nacho, uh, real quick on another Madrid player, Nacho Fernandez, he w- renewed his contract until 2023, so that's good for us. PSG has officially signed a uh, formal uh, Madrid man, Sergio Larramos, so after spending like 17 years at Madrid, he's finding a new home at PSG. Wish we could have kept him, but you know what, It's whatever, but I guess Florentina Perez had different ideas for the team, so he's a PSG player now. So, good for him.
0: And then moving on, as we finish up this right here, before we go switch our campaign to and talk to UFC's 264, Peyton got to talk a um, little NBA finals we mentioned at the top of this. Heading in Sunday night, as the series flips to Milwaukee, the Bucks find themselves down 2-0. Phoenix held home court. Tuck both games in Phoenix, Peyton. Can Devin Booker and Chris Paul bring a first championship to the city of Phoenix?
1: Yes, Coach Cal gets two of his players back to back championships. You know, Anthony Davis won it last year with the uh, Lakers, and Devin Booker's going to win it this year for the Suns. So I think, I don't think they're going to sweep the Bucks. I don't think Giannis is going to let that happen. He had an amazing game, too. I think he had like 40 some points, and like, I think he had a double double, close to a triple double. He played great with no one. Drew Holiday and Chris Millerton, they didn't respond, they didn't play as good as he did. But uh, yeah, this Phoenix Sun squad. CP3 is amazing. Uh he's incredible. He's having a great year. He probably should have been MVP in my opinion. I'm not even, I think Giannis won it again. I know Jokic won it, I think. Yeah. Um I mean, I think CP three should have deserved it, but he definitely, if they win this, he'll probably be finals MVP. Devin Booker's hitting shots, doing what he does. The Sun's team's gonna win. I think the Bucks will probably win game three, potentially win game four, but I think. The Suns are going to close that out in game six. I
0: think you're – I think you're right. I think – I could easily see the Bucs honestly holding home court in their end because they shoot way better at home, too. Their three-point percentage goes up. I could see them holding their own, Chris Middleton dominating. Uh, everybody talks about Giannis, but really Chris Middleton is the – to me the key, man, because he shoots. He's a much better shooter than Giannis. Um so I could see them winning both, it in a two-two series, and then it ends up being the best of three from there. And I still think Phoenix wins this. I, I'll predict this goes Game Seven. I predict this goes seven. It goes back to Phoenix, and that's where Phoenix will close it out and win the title. Then, but we'll keep everybody up to date as we continue on with these shows moving forward. But. Yeah, I think the Bucks win on Sunday to pull the series back a little bit, back to 2-1. But, hey, you got – you know, what a time. Phoenix Suns are up 2-0 in the NBA playoffs – or in the NBA finals.
2: Mm. Yep.
0: Wow, that's crazy, isn't it?
1: I do think if it goes game seven, I'll just switch my prediction. I think the Bucks will get it done. No matter if it's in – because Phoenix has home court, so it'll probably be on Phoenix game seven. But – uh yeah, I think it was game seven, I think the Bucks actually win. That's why I'm saying Sun's close out in six, game six.
0: Well, that's that. We got the Olympics on the horizon. We got a bunch of different competitions, and others are starting to wind down. Peyton, what we're going to do now is we're going to take a little pause for the cause. We're going to take a little break. And then on the other side of this, we're going to be joined by a good friend and also contributor – part owner of everything college basketball whatever you want to call him a familiar voice a lot of you and a a jujitsu expert our good friend tyler cook Cook joins us on the other side of this break to preview and talk all things ufc 264 mcgregor poirier three once you guys come join us right back in a moment as we talk about mcgregor and poirier we'll see you guys in just a minute
2: I took a trip out to Dublin a few years ago, and everybody's talking about Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor, the crowd are chanting. From the second I meet this kid. The king of Las Vegas, Dana Wright, but the king of Dublin, the notorious Conor McGregor. <laughs> I said, I don't know if this kid can fight, but if he can even throw a punch. This is why everyone's been talking about Conor he McGregor. all over. He's going to be a huge superstar. What's welcome the UFC, man. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> so, there's been a lot of hype. I guess yeah. the hype is real, yeah. man. Yeah. Listen to this doubling crowd as they welcome their fighting son. Wow! That is it, Conor McGregor! We're not here to take part, we're here to take over. The first time I fought Conor, that was his first big test in the UFC. Poirier is one of the best on earth. Where I was at that time, he got into my head. He's afraid, he's a scared little boy. Dustin's little pea head is gonna get removed and I'm gonna get on my way to the gold. I've never disliked somebody that much I've um, ever fought. All that talk and everything over the months just sat in my head. When the bell rang, I was like a deer in the headlights. Oh, he tagged him on the left, he heard him. That's it, it it's over. It is over! Wow! Even back then, you know, he had a lot of hype, but didn't have that win that really did it and then that might have been the one. After that, he just started knocking everybody out. Oh, unbelievable. The first punch he threw. History has been made. The first man ever to hold two titles simultaneously. Oh, that looks good. His star sure has risen faster than anybody
0: in this organization.
2: Everywhere I go, I hear about Conor McGregor. He became such a huge superstar. He used to be a billionaire. <laughs> He's done it all, right? You can have all the money in the world, but you can't buy heart. And I got that. Dustin
3: Poirier has emerged from losses a better fighter. He has fought for everything
2: he's ever got paid in full. This is mine. Every time I lose, I come back stronger. That's why, in the second fight with Connor, I knocked his ass out. I lost that night, it stung, and I must get that back. You're like a ghost, you're haunting me. Me and Connor need to do this a third time. Both guys knocked each other out. We owe it to each other to get back in there and see what's up. Now, I have an opportunity to get my revenge. Connor McGregor! One of the most iconic fighters in MIPS Martial Arts history. He wants to regain his position at the top of the heap. Answer my name in history one more time. For the audience, people, Dustin Poirier! He really does want to be nothing but the best. He has beat world champions. He's here to get his hand raised. This is a massive,
1: massive event. The hottest ticket in UFC history. The king is back. Let's go!
2: This is an immense fight, a huge fight. A huge fight for your career, a huge fight for the sport. What does tomorrow night mean to you? Joe, in 16 hours time, this man is going to learn that if you disrespect a person's kindness and take it as a weakness, you must pay. Tomorrow night, I'm going to make this man pay with his life. And I mean it. You're dead in that octagon tomorrow night. Conor McGregor, ladies and gentlemen. I'm here with Dustin Poirier, ladies and gentlemen. Dustin, you come into this fight the betting favorite. You come into this fight a man who won the last fight by knockout. What do these words mean to you, and what does tomorrow night mean to you? It means nothing, it's noise. Tomorrow night, tune in. I want to thank you all for the cheers, the booze. I love you all. I want to give a shout out to a young man in the audience, a real fighter from Lafayette, Louisiana, Peyton Murphy. Keep fighting, brother. You are the real fighter. Good luck to you tomorrow, sir. Dustin Poirier, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you all for coming out. We'll see you tomorrow night.
3: And
0: As you just heard right there, fighting words from the notorious Conor McGregor and a calm, cool, um, composed Dustin the Diamond Poirier, a far contrast to what it was like 2014 in their first matchup. Welcome back to the show. As we talked about in the first couple of um, segments, We will now be breaking down UFC 264 tonight in Las Vegas. And joining us on the New View Painting Express hotline is a good friend. A lot of you probably will recognize the voice. My best friend, friend of the show, and co-founder, helped really get things kicked off of everything college basketball, and a BJJ expert himself. My good friend Tyler Cook's joining us on the hotline today. Tyler, you there?
3: Oh yeah, I'm here. I wouldn't go as far as expert. I'm I'm probably a novice expert. You know, these guys that are gonna tangle it up tonight are the real guys that have the experts on it. I can see these things, but these guys can really put it together.
1: Well, I mean,
0: okay. You are an expert guys- to ninety nine percent of all humans. In I mean, you're really like what, you're real close to a black belt now, right?
3: Yeah, my next my next promotion, whenever that decides to come, it will be Black Belt. It so, will be under the the Carlson Gracie lineage, which is really exciting to me. You know, I got a phenomenal instructor. It's it's been a passion of mine. So so hump, humping on this with the UFC and watching the ground game that always unfolds in this stuff is really means a lot to me and I like I love it all together. And it's just a part of the game that a lot of people don't understand. So hopefully I can help.
0: So, again, yeah. yeah, you're part of, like, this, like, sub-1% of all humans that that knows what they're talking about, and they can apply a lot of these ground techniques that we're going to discuss in this fight. But, but gentlemen, this is it. This is the arguably the biggest trilogy in, I would say, combat sports. I'm going boxing as well because I, off the top of my head, cannot think of a bigger trilogy that even happened in boxing. This is as far as going to be making money at the gate, pay-per-views, buy rates. Um, what it means, the fighters. This is the biggest trilogy in combat sports history that I – I'll just go out on a limb and say that. I can't think of another one that's going to top
3: it. I haven't seen anything close to it in a long time. You know, they always get these promotions, but, but connor has been that guy that really draws in the money. If you look at the top ticket sales, top, top uh, pay-per-view sales, he's up there in five of the top ten, if I remember correctly. So – He's always, he's always rolling in the numbers. It's going to be a really big one tonight.
0: Yeah, and Peyton, um, we cover all sports here, obviously. But, I mean, nobody clocked in on the Forbes list as the, the highest grossing fighter, or not just fighter, sports athlete for the year 2020 than the notorious Connor McGregor. He leads, he tops the Forbes list, which is extremely hard to do considering you have the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel Messi, um, Floyd Money Mayweather. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera, and Connor topped them all.
1: It's funny you mention that because yeah, you mentioned guys like Ronaldo, Messi, Floyd, Lebron, all those guys. Um, it's funny little story. I think it was like three or four years ago. Um, Connor and Cristiano Ronaldo they actually met when Connor was training, and they was talking about the Forbes list and how training was going and everything like that, just basically catching up and stuff. And Connor had literally said here comes very soon, I'm going to meet you at the top of the Forbes list. And I shit you not, four years later, he's the number one um, athlete. It's crazy how he can, like, call all of this, what he calls fights, um, calls this. It's incredible.
0: I, I was getting ready to say the exact same thing. There's not – you You see a lot of sports athletes. Um, we think about, you know, Babe Ruth back in the day calling the shot in the World Series against the Cubs. You think it about um, other athletes calling that they're going to do this. But everything, for the most part, there's been a few things here lately that he's not got right, obviously. But there's not been an athlete that calls his shots more accurate than the notorious Conor McGregor. It's unbelievable. It's like when he says it, he's doing it to put it out there in the universe because he's going to manifest it to happen. And it normally happens. It's crazy how, how he just does that. It's I don't know. I've never seen anything like it. Oh no, thoughts. Okay, so I keep
2: talking. <laughs> but,
0: um, I, w- I was laying out, guys. I thought you guys were gonna pick me up there, but um, so going into the tonight's fight, so um, obviously it's one one. You go back to 2014 and the first encounter in featherweight. It was Connor's really first test because he had had this hype machine behind him, but the question was, how would he fare against um people that considered elite competition and Dustin was that kind of gatekeeper to get through if he doesn't get through that all that momentum stops we don't talk about Connor in the light we talk about him today and Dustin's career could have took a completely different route as opposed to the one it took eventually to get here but Connor you know got inside of his head stops him in the first round caught him basically with a beautiful shot to the temple dropped him finished him did exactly what he said, and we know the rest, how they each kind of played out. Well, they finally meet up again in round two, the second go-round this past January. No fans, Abu Dhabi, Fight Island, and Connor had a good first round. It, it, people, I think some people forget that in the first round, Connor looked pretty sharp. He even, and Dustin admitted this on the Rogan podcast not too long after the fight, he said he caught him. He rang his bell really good, and it was Connor's mistake for not jumping on him to finish him. Well, those calf kicks, obviously, everybody knows about, kind of led to the downfall. Connor could not put any weight on that lead leg, and in the second round, Dustin got his mojo and ended up picking him apart and finishing. So we're stuck here at 1-1. We're going to find out who's the better fighter tonight as the trilogy ends, but going into the night, Tyler, since you're the guest, I'll let you lead off. Kind of what are some things that you're looking for? Maybe some stuff from the past two fights that could play into factor tonight. Just kind of everything surrounding. It because we heard Connor in that, yeah, you know, the the pre-fight press conferences and at the way ends. He is pissed. Like this is a glimpse of the old Connor as opposed to one we've seen recently with the cowboy fight and Dustin too, where he's nice and friendly and jovial. This is back to like animosity. Yeah,
3: he's he just hasn't been. The same fighter he was when he started off. He's knocking people out left and right. He's had a couple of hiccups here. You know, Khabib choked him out. You know, Diaz choked him out. And Dustin here, he's listed as a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu fighter. That's his fighting style that they announce. And I think Connor's wanting him to stand up with him. That's why he's getting him fired up, talking about wanting to kill him and shit. If Dustin can take him to the ground, he's got the advantage there. Connor's decent on the ground, but we've seen that's where his that's where his weakness is. If Dustin can take it to the ground early, you know, wear him out because we know Connor didn't have that gas tank that everybody talks about. He should be developing, but he never has. Dustin got a good chance to pull this out and, and come out on top of this trilogy.
0: Yeah, and I think that's important too. Um, obviously, the first fight he was so mind fucked by Connor that, and he admitted it that he completely abandoned game plan. He didn't try to wrestle. He didn't try to nothing. Connor's you know picked him apart and finished him. Same way Eddie Alvarez talked about that the game plan was not to stand there and trade with Connor because Conor is one of the few that uh, standing on the feet, you're fucked for the most part. You're, you're in trouble if you're going to just stand there and fight with him at his game. If he um, touches it,
3: you clean, you're going to go down.
0: Yeah, it, it's like Rogan says, he's got that touch of death. Like that left hand is the touch of death. It just needs to clip you one time. Um, but but I think what a lot of people forget too is in that second fight early on, if you remember Dustin shot on him, I don't think Connor was expecting that. He came out in the boxing stance. I think he tuck him a little lightly because he, you know, starched him so easy in the first fight. And he was training. He admitted this. He was training, kind of looking ahead, get ready for the Manny Pacquiao boxing fight. And Dustin tuck him down. Now, he didn't hold him there because as we know with Connor, when he wants to defend the takedown, he can scramble and get up in a lot of different ways. But I am with you. I think Dustin comes out tonight and tries to grapple – close the distance, stay away from the left hand as far as keeping his range, keeping it in tight and basically making this a fight, making it dirty, putting him to the ground. Connor's probably going to get up once or twice, but like DC said before, and Chael, I've heard them talk about it. It's not always the first two. If you continue to take somebody down, you're draining that gas tank. You're draining it and draining it. And then maybe the fourth one is the one you can put them there and do some damage. Maybe the fifth, maybe it takes six or whatever but if he continues to get Connor and wrap him up and take him down, eventually we've, like you mentioned, we know Connor was going to gas.
3: Yep, and they're they're both Southpaws too, so that's that's a, an even advantage there. When you're when you're a Southpaw, you're usually fighting someone Orthodox. With them, with them both being Southpaw, they got the opening for that overhand left that they got to get in there and sneak and knock them out. That's why they both essentially have won with a knockout.
0: And I, this is where you're going to kind of take us through here, but we've seen it. Dustin came closer than anybody ever, as far as putting Habib away he, in that in that fight. If you remember, I think it was the third round. Habib shoots for a takedown. Dustin locks in a nasty guillotine. Oh, I, he had that son of a bitch clinched, locked in, and Habib found a way to pop his head free. And but but Dustin's won by a guillotine a handful of times. He's you mentioned he's a jiu jitsu guy, he's a black belt. He, um, he's he actually says he's carrying the banner for thug jiu jitsu now, but um, <laughs> but he's got a tremendous ground game. If he could cinch in any type of those guillotines on Connor tonight, it, I don't know if Connor is going to be able to withstand what Habib did and fight out of it. His guillotine's nasty.
3: With, with the guillotine though, he's gonna have to have Connor shoot, and Connor's not gonna do that. He may put him on the cage. He may do some dirty boxing on the cage, and th- he'll have an opportunity there if he gets low and he can sink his arm around his head. But you're not gonna see Connor take a shot unless it's desperate mode. He's not gonna take a shot to get low. So you're gonna see Dustin attacking from the top. Now there are opportunities for for uh, chokes like that from the top, but it's gonna be more like a Darce or an Anaconda or something like that. Something to take him out. It may take his back, get a rear naked like, Khabib did to everybody else. But I don't. I don't see it being a guillotine. It is tight. He is very, you know, effective with it. But it's going to be something like I said, a darse or Anaconda. If he gets on the top and starts moving to the side, and Connor tries to belly down, get that arm exposed, he can cut underneath and get that darse.
0: So obviously, the main thing in fight number two that everybody wants to talk about coming into the trilogy tonight is can Connor adjust to the calf kicks? Um, normally, when he's facing orthodox fighters, uh, that calf kick's not there because his wide stance, it's normally landed on the thigh or maybe like the uh, upper midsection. But Dustin being a southpaw as well, he's right there in perfect range. When he throws that kick, it's hitting the calf. And we've seen how debilitating it is. Connor's leg went, his lead leg went dead, basically. Um, so, so what Connor's coming out, if he comes out in a boxing stance again tonight where he's compact and really tight and he's kind of stiff, then Dustin's going to pick him apart again. Uh, but if Connor comes out like we used to see where he's in that kind of karate stance um, where he's long and elusive and he's bouncing on his heels and it, it's going to give Dustin more, more problems to kind of uh, figure out this puzzle piece. Connor, in my opinion, and I, I, you know, you hear a lot of people talk about it, he has to come out in that stance where he's kind of bouncing, popping around, staying in and out of the range of the calf kick. Kind of that way he neutralizes it. Come out, throw some more of his own kicks. I think a lot of people are expecting Connor to throw his own kicks tonight. If you go back to the Diaz rematch, the adjustments he made is he was starting to teep at. Um, he came out early and against Diaz and he was teeping at the midsection. He was throwing his own leg kicks. And it was kind of keeping Nate had to think a little bit more, and then that opened up the left hand shot. Your guys, I want both of your opinions on this. Connor, he has to come out in more of that elusive karate stance tonight, right? Because if he comes out in the boxing traditional compact, yeah, I think it's gonna be more of the same because that ooh, you know that cap kick's still gonna be there.
3: Yeah, he keeps that long range and is able to check him a little better. Because if that split's playing and that thing connects, boy, that's, that hurts. Like you said, it'll it'll go dead leg even if it takes a couple rounds. You know these guys are persistent; they'll keep chopping at it. If he keeps that range and, you know, like I said, keeps that keeps that teat coming at him and keeping the space, it'll make Dustin think more. Maybe Dustin will try and take him down from a distance, and that's harder to do. You know, you got to close the distance to be able to get a leg or something. But could open up a lot of things for Connor. But Dustin's got to make his adjustments too, so he's not going to come out there and try and do the same thing just because he won. He knows that the adjustments are going to come on the other side too. So. It'll be interesting to see how they both come out. That first round I bet it'll be it's not going to be your, you know, your Jose Aldo knockout type shit. No. It's going to it's going to take a few minutes to to get each other out before even something with some heat comes. Hey,
0: before I yeah, go ahead on yours because I got something I want to add to that. I think it's really interesting too to watch out for.
1: So here's what I think. Um, kind of same thing what Cook said, I agree with him. I don't think Cano's going to shoot at all, especially in this fight. Just how good Poirier is on the ground, how he can pitch you to sleep on the ground easily. I don't think Connor's going to shoot. Only time he really ever shot against somebody was in the first Diaz fight. And he ended up getting put to sleep. He got tired. He got rocked. And then Diaz ended up pitting him to sleep with the rear naked choke. So that's the only time I ever saw him ever trying to take a shoot on somebody. But also, here's the thing, though. And I think this is where Connor gets a lot of bad rap. Obviously, his cardio is definitely an issue. Um, It was an issue in the Floyd fight when he switched over to boxing to fight Floyd. Uh, It was an issue in the Khabib fight and in the first Diaz fight. It's been an issue for basically his whole career in the UFC. Um, So that's definitely an issue. But here's the thing about Conor. I don't think he's terrible on the ground. No. I don't think he's – he's definitely not on the level of Khabib, Poirier, Nate, Diaz. He's definitely not the level of those guys. I'm not saying that. But he's not bad on the ground. And another thing, and I've heard Brennan Schaub say this. I've heard Rogan say this. And I heard, obviously, his uh, jiu-jitsu trainer, uh, Dylan Danis, say this. He has good takedown defense. Yep. So, And another thing, the fans will be back. I, they went yeah. in, where were they fought? Abu Dhabi last time? Yeah. It? They that had no wrong. fans. It was Fight Island, correct? Yeah. There was no fans there. Conor performs best when there's fans, when the Irish are going wild, cheering Ole, 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 doing Conor gimmicks and stuff well, like we, that. We the already, fans will be there.
0: We, we already see it in uh, the pre-fight press conferences and yeah. at the weigh-ins last night when they have the fans in the building. They're going nuts, and they're booing Dustin, and Dustin has openly admitted it. He's talked about it all week and talked about it before. He hates this process. He loves fighting on Fight Island when all that noise is gone. He hates people booing him, throwing beer at him, saying shit to him, et cetera, et cetera, and Connor thrives on it more than any fighter I've ever seen in any combat sport. He needs that energy, and uh, obviously the T-Mobile arena is going to be on fire all night, and especially for the main event. Um, you talked about, you know, we talked about Dustin did shoot early and I don't think Connor was ready for it because you've seen when he's ready, like the Chad Mendes fight, he got taken down, but he also stuffed handful of takedowns and got back up. Um, and then the Habib fight for the first three, four minutes of that first round, Habib couldn't get him down. He had to keep fighting and circling him and circling him, doing what Habib does, but Connor was ready for it. So connor has got pretty good to really good takedown defense. Um
1: just We're like following. the, yeah, uh, just like the Eddie Alvarez fight when Conor was picking Eddie Alvarez apart, UFC two hundred five and uh, MSG, uh, Eddie Alvarez tried to take a shot on him and Conor stuffed it a couple times and then that's when Conor in the second round just hit that like four piece combo on him and took him down. So Conor has good underrated uh, takedown defense and he's not bad on the ground, but he's just obviously not on Poirier's level though. Yeah.
0: yeah, Dustin that second fight Tyler made a great adjustment too because he lured in Conor. Um, to overextend on the left hand a couple of times. And when he did, Dustin, you even seen that one time Dustin pointed at him. He's like, ah, I got you. And Dustin's talked about it. He baited Connor into overthrowing that left hand and extending, because he likes to, sometimes if you're too far out of range, he'll overextend with the left. And then if he misses, he'll come back up with that, like, looping right under or uppercut. But Dustin baited him into throwing that long left hand and caught him with a check hook right hook. And uh, he, he popped him a couple times. So it'd be curious to see if that. But what I was going to say, though, is Connor is, Connor is a great um, counterattacker. He needs you to come forward so he can start picking you apart. I'm curious to see because he goes forward towards Dustin on the second fight. But I'm curious to see tonight if he doesn't try to bait Dustin a little bit in. Maybe he's not as aggressive coming out. He's kind of staying at range. Kicking him, you know, throwing those keeps at his midsection, and Dustin gets pissed because Connor said all the shit about his wife and everything. And as soon as Dustin starts coming forward, Connor will be able to pick him apart like he does better than anybody else. I'm curious if Connor doesn't try to lay back a little bit and see if that works.
3: It could be. It's going to be. It's going to be interesting. We could. We could see all kinds of shit tonight. It's. We could see a knockout in the first three minutes. I mean, it's it's, it's unpredictable as far as what's going to go on because typically you can. You can kind of piece this stuff together, but this one's this one's pretty interesting on how it's going to play out. It's kind of hard to to put it together. I got I got a little bit of a an opinion on how it'll finish, but you guys might not like that.
0: Well, no, you, know, it's, <laughs> you might be surprised on my finish. But as we talk about, you know, going forward, I think the consensus, guys, is that if Conor wins, it's early. If if he wins, it's by knockout or TKO inside the first. 10 minutes, those first two rounds.
2: If well, it goes long,
0: yeah, if it goes longer than that, everybody seems to think that Dustin's got the fight. Um, I, I, I kind of see that playing out the same way because um, the best breakdown as far as fights go of any person I've ever seen, and I love watching him for big fights break stuff down, is Dan Hardy. Dan Hardy does a tremendous job of doing his uh, breakdowns and piecing everything together and explaining stuff. And he's right. He says Connor has about twelve of the big left bombs in him. And if he comes out early in the first round, looking to put this away too early, and Dustin eats a couple and is still there, now you've used maybe eight of your twelve early. You've only got four more left to go because Connor's gas tank is um, limited. So if he's burning himself out looking for that left hand all the time over and over, and it's just not putting away, he's done essentially so that's why I think the kicks are going to be a big part of McGregor's game tonight to give Dustin a little bit more to worry about and to save those bombs for when he really needs it or can use it you know to most advantage of him but as we've kind of broken this down a little bit with this is a true toss-up in my opinion I th- honest to God I think you could flip a coin and it goes either way but let's go in and get in prediction time Tyler I, I kind of got a feeling I know where you're going but tell me why Dustin wins
3: Oh, you already nailed it on the head. I think Dustin wins. Uh, Connor has five losses. For four of those, he's been submitted. And when he gets down and he gets put on the ground, he's uncomfortable. He never fights entirely to get out of it. He's never went out. I mean, he, he doesn't fight it till the end. I, I think if Dustin can get him on his back, put some pressure on him, cook him a little bit as, as I call it for when I'm teaching and when I'm training is. You get someone on the ground. You cook them a little bit. You put them in the oven. You put some heat on them. Put some pressure on them. Make them do stuff they're not normally would do. Make stupid mistakes. And Dustin has that pedigree to do that. You know, he he's put people out. He's choked people out. He's done it all on the ground. I mean, he's that's his M.O. for him. So I believe Dustin gets a gets a submission. I don't know exactly where. I think it's going to be some type of choke. It's not going to be an arm lock. I think he wants to. Uh, you know, try and put him out one way or the other, either with a choke or his hands. But I think he's got a better option. He did it once, but I don't think it's going to happen again with his hands. He's going to take him down, cook him a little bit, and get a choke.
0: Peyton, second, I'll let you. Oh,
1: go ahead. Third round. Okay, okay. Um, Peyton, here's the thing: in the Chad Mendez fight um, for the interim featherweight title, um, Connor well, Chad Mendes had him down, it was ground and pound him for like a long majority of the fight. It went five rounds. Um, and then Connor ended up getting up out of it, uh, out of the ground, and ended up finishing Mendez with, like, 12 seconds to go or something like that in round five to win the interim title. So, like I said, Connor, he has good takedown defense. He's underrated on the ground. He's not great. I'm not saying that. I wouldn't even say he's really good either, but he's not terrible on the ground. With that being said, I think Connor gets him early. I think Connor, um, what's, uh, I think Connor wins round two. Uh, knockout. I think it's going to be kind of like a performance close to the Eddie Alvarez fight. I think Connor is going to throw a lot of leg kicks, he's going to check the calf kicks from Dustin if he decides to do those again, uh, which he probably will. So, I think Connor via knockout round two, Mystic Mac is back. That's my prediction.
0: So, I guess I'm the tiebreaker in this. We got one Connor, one Dustin, and I, I think that's the perfect definition of it's this split. There's no real clear winner. So, obviously, my heart is with McGregor, um, being a big fan of his, loved what he's doing, and he could really a, a win here. The, Dana's already said the winner of this gets um, Charles Oliveira at the end of the year for the 155 belt. So, you know, obviously, he wins tonight. He can go take down Oliveira. And by the years in, he could be a champ again, which would be awesome. Um, I, I just – I don't know. Because I'm with Tyler. Dustin, as far as a a tool set between standing, he's got great boxing. Um, On the ground, he's a menace. I think he's a little bigger fighter. I know they both weighed in at 156. But if you look them side by side, Dustin's kind of a little bit more stockier, I guess. Seems a little stronger as far as just outward appearance. And I, I do think the takedown or ground game will come into effect at some point tonight, unless Connor just starches him early. So, because of that, as bad as I want to pick Connor, I think Dustin, I think it'll go longer than what um, maybe most experts think. I think Dustin gets him in the fourth. I I think that's where, because like Tyler said, once Connor gets tired, instead of a lot of fighters, they're doing everything, they're trying to go out on their shield and just try to make it to decision. So it's not as bad as, you know, for the ego's sake. But Connor, once he's tired, he's looking for a way out of there. He's looking to maybe get choked or get stopped or whatever. And I hate to say that, but that's just the truth. So I think in the fourth, Dustin finally gets him. I'm with Tyler probably by submission, but actually I'm going to go a little different. I think it'll be just ground and pound. I think somehow they'll end up on the ground. Dustin will be in an advantageous position, either being top in a full mount, or maybe have him in like a crucifix and just putting a hurt on him. And then the ref stops it. As much as I want Connor to win, I think Dustin wins. But I will say this I will say this. This does look like a vintage Connor. Maybe Dustin's can say all he wants that so he's not in his head. But you also seen a couple of days ago when they had their first, uh, their only first and only press conference when they're both there together and Connor grabbed his hot sauce. Dustin looked like he was about to fucking snap. He looked like he was about to snap and go after him. So maybe Connor's in his head. If Connor wins, it's gonna—he's gonna catch him clean. He's gonna knock him into another dimension. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But I'm with Tyler. I think Dustin wins, probably fourth round, and I'll see uh, TKO because of ref stoppage. But man, and, and let's—I'm gonna give a bold prediction either way. It kind of in the future, and you guys can both real quick before we move on to the other fights. Let me know what you think with what Dana said. I no matter who wins this night whether it be Dustin Poirier or Conor McGregor by the year by years end when we go into 2022 one of those two are going to be the champion at 155 I think they both beat Charles Oliveira.
3: Oh, that's that's ballsy man. Charles is a fucking bad man. I don't know. He's a bad anything can happen but I I'm I'm really fond of Charles.
0: Yeah, I hey, he's got a great story, the longest wait to finally get um finally get UFC gold and everything. But I think if you look at the matchups, like his standups gotten so much better. We know that obviously he stopped Michael Chandler. He took a beating and his ground game is legendary. Most submissions in UFC history. But man, if you like, if you went against Dustin, Dustin has all that too. And his boxing's a little bit better. And then Connor, if it stayed, you know, if those two stayed standing, I know his boxing, and he throws a good straight jab really well and his precision, but nobody's been as more precise standing on the feet than Connor. So I think either way, the winner of this tonight ends up your champion by years in. Just kind of my bold prediction.
1: Real quick, have you seen the last Embedded that they did? Yeah, uh, Not yet. I just watched at least a little bit of it from the weigh-ins yesterday. And you can use talking about Poirier or Connor already being in Poirier's head. I think he is, because in the Embedded, When he was weighing in, when Conor came out and grabbed the hot sauce and started walking towards Dustin, Dana White had to hold him back. The whole time Poirier was telling uh, Dana White that you better hold him back if he gets close, I'm going to punch him. I'm going to hit him. Oh. Yeah, you have to go watch that. So I think he's already in his head again. Conor, knockout, round two. Well, we're going to find out. I know I'm excited for that one tonight. But looking down the other,
0: um, this fight is such a good fight as far as the co-main event. But it's been completely overshadowed because of the main event and the Conor McGregor effect. Tyler, we've got a welterweight clash for top contendership basically here between Gilbert Burns and Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Both of them fought for the titles in the past. Gilbert more recently, earlier this year, losing to Camaro. And he actually hurt him. He had Camaro hurt, but just couldn't finish him. We know what Gilbert can do on the ground. He's getting better at the striking, even though it's still kind of elementary. And we know Stephen Thompson is one of the most elusive fighters in the world with his legit karate stance. Um, yeah, Tyler
3: picks on that. They got Gilbert as the underdog on this on the line, but I like Gilbert, man. He's a savage. He's he's got it all together. Thompson Thompson can put you out at any point in time, but if Gilbert gets his hands on you, boy. He's gonna break something.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. I think if it goes to the ground, Gilbert is gonna you know break something or tap him. But I think Thompson's stand up and the way he's so elusive. Gilbert's going to take – it's going to take him a little while to figure everything out and the angles that it's coming from. You hear Jorge Miles, we all talk about fighting Wonderboy and how you think that he's going to throw – he could throw the <clears> same <throat> punch twice, but they come completely different and look different at the same time. I think Steven's going to keep him just guessing and basically outpointing. He's not going to stop him. I think this goes to the decision. Wonderboy wins, sets up a matchup down the road either later this year against Leon Edwards. Then the winner of that becomes the new challenger at one – uh, uh, the welterweight just kind of my opinion
1: I agree with Cook I think Gilbert Burns is going to win 42% of his wins has come from submission so I think if he gets to the ground he's going to hurt him or he's going to submit him I'll say uh, Gilbert wins uh, round three by submission real quick the heavyweight clash between Ty
0: Tuavasa and Greg Hardy that can't go out of the first round can it somebody's getting knocked cold
1: hell nah <laughs> night night
0: cowboy you're going down Hardy yeah, I, I think the – yeah, I think the Islander is going to put Hardy down. Even though Hardy's a big badass. The women's fight, it wouldn't do us justice. Um, I'm sure that's going to be a good one. We really don't know a whole lot about either the, either the women. Hopefully it's a good fight. Don't really have a prediction anyway. And then the, the leadoff fight of the main card, Sean O'Malley, a rising superstar in the Bantamweight. Um, he, he's taken a page out of the Conor McGregor playbook. He's got the it factor everybody talks about fighting an unknown, and Chris Matinho literally has come off the regional circuit, just quit his full-time job, I think, as a painter back in June. And Sean O'Malley is a massive favorite in this, but this could be an interesting one if, you know, you just don't know nothing about this Matinho guy. He's 9-4, and four, but all signs point to Sean O'Malley basically getting a tune-up <laughs> fight here and just running through him and getting another impressive um, viral knockout. Yep, too easy of a pick, Sean
3: O'Malley.
1: Sugar Sean, baby, sweep it.
0: So, and that's your main card. Um, it kicks everything kicks off tonight. UFC 264 from the T-Mobile Arena at the main card starts at 10 o'clock tonight. Cannot wait for the trilogy. The main or the co-main event is going to be fireworks. The heavyweight clash. We predicted it's not going out of the first round. You got to see Sugar Sean. This is a massive card tonight. Make sure you guys are tuning in. If you don't. Um, I don't know what to tell you because it's going to be fireworks. I promise Yeah, But before we get out of here and end today's show, Tyler, you got anything you want to say, kind of plug or anything before we get out of here?
3: Yes, jiu-jitsu. If you don't know what it is, watch Ryan Hall on the prelims. He is yeah. going to break this dude's fucking knee. It's crazy. The guy he's competing against is 10-0. He's a jiu-jitsu fighter, too. But Ryan Hall is a great American grappler for jiu-jitsu. Check him out. Watch him. He's going to fuck this dude up.
0: Yeah, he's, nobody ever wants to fight him because he's such a good grappler. By the way, on the preliminary card, the ESPN card, Carlos Condit's returning. Nico Price versus Michelle Perea is going to be fireworks in the welterweight. So lots of good fights tonight. Tyler, again, my guy, I'm so happy. It's been a while since we've talked, actually, but I'm glad you're able to hop on the show. Um, Hopefully we can get you back here talking all other sports, not just fighting, kind of your world of jiu-jitsu, everything that's going on. By the way, guys. If you're around the area or if you're coming to Indiana at some point, make sure you come visit Tyler and let him fucking stretch you a little bit because he's now uh, um, doing his own training and stuff in jiu-jitsu. Tyler, real quick, give that a plug where everybody can find you if they're around the area.
3: Well, I've, I've traveled around a couple of different places. I'm, my main home is the uh, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu in Indianapolis. My secondary place, I just now went to this one. It's uh, the Grizz Cave in Franklin, Indiana. It's ran by a couple of really good dudes. uh, Headbangers, kickboxing up in Washington Street in Indianapolis. I'm going to start teaching there a little bit too. If you go anywhere in the state of Indiana, I can point you in the right direction. It don't have to be with me. There's a lot of good practitioners in the state. In the Midwest, I can find you places too, you know, affiliates of of the team that I'm on. So if you ever want to get into this, please feel free to reach out. You know, I can do privates. I can teach you anywhere, send you anywhere you want to go. So please feel free.
0: Yeah, um, I wouldn't send you guys anywhere else. He's been doing this for a long time. Like we said, he's damn near a black belt right now, so you're going to get great training. But for that, wrapping up episode number three of Sports Talk with JB. For Tyler Cook, Peyton Burton, I'm Josh Burton. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you guys next episode with reviews. We'll have champions from the European competitions. We'll have the champions from the Copa America we're going to have the winner of UFC 264 and kind of all the follow-up from that so join us next week for episode number four but until then I hope you guys stay safe stay happy and you guys have a good weekend see ya
2: What okay. Don't think shit stink,
0: pink gators My Detroit players, Tim's for my hula games in
2: Brooklyn. That's Dead it. right, if they head right, Biggie there a like Papa been school since days of under rules Never lose, never choose to Bruce, cruise, who do something to us. Talk, go through us. Girls walk to us, wanna do us, screw us, screw us. Yeah, Papa and Pop. <laughs> Close like Starsky and Hutch. Stick to clutch. Yeah, I squeeze three at your cherry M3. Bang every MC take that. easily. Take us uh-huh. recently. Niggas just ain't saying nothing, so I just speak my peace. Keep my peace. Humans with the Jesus peace. With my peace. packin', asking who want it. Did you want it? Nigga, flaunt it, That Brooklyn bullshit, we on it. Biggie, biggie, biggie. Can't you see? Sometimes your words just hypnotize me. And I just love your flashy ways. I guess that's why they're broken, you're so keen. Biggie, biggie, biggie. Can't you see? Sometimes your words just hypnotize me. And I just love your flashy ways put those in y onto d k
0: n y miami dc prefer versachi
2: who the fuck is that
0: guy who the fuck is that